Heavenly Father, I just come before Your throne this morning and thank You, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather and to spend time learning more about prayer. And Father, we just want to pray along with the disciples when they asked You that, Lord, You would teach us to pray. Mm -hmm. And Father, we just want to ask a blessing on Brother Leslie. Mm -hmm. Father, that You would anoint him with Your Spirit. And that you would give him the words to speak. You know, it's your message. And we thank you, Lord, and ask that you would bless him for being a willing vessel. That's right. And Lord, just bless us as listeners. Mm-hmm. Help us to be attentive and open our hearts to receive your message. And we just pray this in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you. you, Josh. You just. Well, I feel like I have another privilege to stand in this place as a teacher. We want the Lord to teach us, and we're just vessels, we're channels only. And uh, we want to be good channels, we want to be clean channels, and uh, we want to be used of the Lord today. I think I passed out these yesterday that had the little schedule for prayer. If you wanted to devote an hour for prayer, five minutes each in these individual features. I I hope you kept this because I really kind of wanted you to experiment with it maybe in your hour with God in the morning. I don't want to tell you how to do this because you, you need to be led of the Spirit, but this is an interesting project. Uh, even if you don't spend a full five five minutes on each one, these are some of the elements of prayer. And I'm not going to take time to go over this, but uh, if you can use it, fine. I, I did bring it along so that you could use it. I had it as part of the last handout, but I thought, well, maybe that's too late to be using it for your prayer time. But let's turn our attention now to... Uh, the uh, intercessory prayer uh, feature. I want to say, as others have said, this is a school. And I want to pose as a teacher, not a preacher here exactly. And so as you listen and as we study together, don't feel backward. If you have something to ask or comment or something that should be clarified, hold up your hand. The teachers say, elbows above your ear. Not just like this. Let us see it. And uh, so anyway, uh, we want to have the uh, spirit of a school here today. Um, We have uh, maybe a couple teachers. Sister Esther is a teacher in our school, and uh, there might be some others here too. I wanted to sing one more song, and this is a special song. It's a song that the Amish use every service, and I don't want to encroach on Brother Roman's history here. He could tell a lot about this low bleed. Uh, John Overholt has it five places in this hymn book in English, and I think he has it in German too. But he thought a lot of this hymn. He said it's, in his opinion, probably one of the most worshipful hymns. And it fits in with our study on intercessory prayer. This hymn intercedes for the ministers and for the congregation 
and that we would give God glory. It is an intercessory song um, in, a, in that sense. It's number 409 in our hymnary, and uh, there are several tunes to it. This, I don't believe, is the tune that the Amish use. You could tell us, Brother Roman, probably isn't, is it? I see. They don't always use the same one. Uh I think he has that as maybe the first hymn. 4.11? Yeah, you might take a look at that. That's in German. Well, it's English 4.10 and and German 4.11. We won't try to sing that one. I think it's difficult to sing unless you grow up with it, I suppose. Wouldn't it be true for the Roman? But let's sing this one. And... uh, Maybe, Martha, you can lead it. Do you need a pitch or shall I? Okay. She's good on the pitch. Thank you for singing that hymn. That was really beautiful. We have here 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 8, but we have just a, a verse here, and I'd like us to say this verse together, starting, I exhort, therefore... Can we uh, all read that from the the uh, handout? I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Yes, intercessions, giving of thanks, supplications, prayers. This is what we're studying. Uh, We have a character sketch for Nehemiah this time, and we don't really have uh, his prayers. Uh, We're going to look those over too. But right now, let's think about Nehemiah and see if you can remember some of the characteristics that that Nehemiah had. He was a very interesting character and he did a wonderful work for his people. Uh, He filled a place that probably not many others could fill. He was an intelligent man. What can we say about Nehemiah that uh, would maybe give us some insight into his, his life? What was he like? His characteristics. Right. He, yes, he had to be an intelligent man with good answers and good things to say or the king would have simply sent him on his way. He had a real position there. And in fact, the, the king did notice that he was sad on one occasion. He noticed that. Anything else? Pardon? He, he was honest. He was honest. When the king asked him, what, what's going on? Okay, good. He was free to tell him, wasn't he? What else? Courageous. Okay, right. And, and I always think about him working with the trial on one hand and the sword on the other. Mm, yeah. Right. He prays before he ends. Okay, that's one thing I wanted to notice. Uh, it's interesting. We sometimes think of prayer being either audible or maybe on our knees or maybe kind of special times. But Nehemiah prayed and it was fast and it was silent. As he came before the king, he prayed. Um, 
So prayer can have different forms and different lengths of time, I'm sure. What else was he? Certainly courageous. Someone said that. I have a few things I have here. He wept and mourned and fasted and prayed when he heard of the condition of Jerusalem. It was dear to his heart even though he was in a foreign land. And I think many of the Jewish Israelite people were that way. They still loved their homeland. And uh, maybe we have a lot of that today. If you read about uh, Israelites, it's a special it's a special people. He confessed, both I and my father's house have sinned. He was brave or courageous to go before the king. He was bold and brave. He went out and inspected Jerusalem by night. Um, and apparently alone. He, he uh, uh, looked it over. The wall was fallen down. The gates were ruined. And uh, he realized there was a lot of work to do. He was intelligent. We've al- already said he remained a cupbearer in the king's presence. He confronted his enemies boldly. He was not deceived by flattery or offers of the enemy, and he was not discouraged by their scoffings. He was firm in his resolve to ignore their threats and offers to take part. Oh, they were going to take part in his great work, but he said, no, you have no part in this. And there's, some, there's a principle there that needs to be followed. We wouldn't want to exclude people, but if there's something evil, we don't want to accept that as any part of our, of our work for Christ. He was firm in, to, in his resolve to ignore their threats and offers to take part. He was generous. It says he provided food for 150 people of the Jews and rulers besides some heathen also. 150 and it told the amount of beasts that they slew for that that uh, feast. He must have had resources. I don't know where he got this but he was generous. He was grieved at Tobiah for taking over a chamber in the temple and he was decisive to turn him out and all his stuff and cleansed the chambers and brought again the vessels of the house of God. He was obedient to the law. He was sad. He was sad and disturbed about the marriages with foreign women. And he was a faithful teacher. It's a tremendously interesting story. If you've not studied it or read it carefully, um, look back and read Nehemiah sometime and get the message of his life. I have for a first category here, prayers of the past, and the first category I wanted to say was about Jesus' prayers, and our pattern, our prayers can be patterned after his perfect prayer. That's the one he gave us when they said, teach us to pray, and they, he said, pray after this manner, and he said, when you pray, say, I asked my father once, why do we always say the Lord's Prayer? And he said, well, Jesus said, when you pray, say. And that's kind of the background for it. And I know that this can be uh, something that, that can be kind of automatic and we can say this by heart and maybe not get the message. But if you really get the message, there's tremendous uh, uh, prayer, there's tremendous thoughts in that prayer, our Father which art in heaven. Uh, in the end of that prayer, it says, for thine is the kingdom, power in the kingdom, and the glory forever. 
And sometimes we say, on the glory forever. And we don't quite make it real. Anyway, um, use that prayer and uh, use it in depth and thinking as you pray it. Hebrews 7 or 5, 7 to 9 says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. And that goes on there too, saying uh, that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I want to turn to that one, because this is important. It's a pattern for us. Verse 7 is what I read there of chapter 5 of Hebrews. And then verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Uh, How many read that book that was suggested, uh, Crucified by Christians or the other intense agony, exquisite agony? How many were able to read that? I know it's a fairly long book, but it is worthwhile. It was a good recommendation. And in that, they had something that was kind of new to me, and yet it's right here. This author said that this was the first time that Jesus had a misunderstanding or a difference with his heavenly Father. The only time, the first time and the only time He didn't want to go to Calvary. He said, take this cup from me except I drink it. He didn't want to go. This author says it was planned from eternity that he suffered, that he be crucified for us. And he took it perfectly. It says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. What a pattern and being made perfect. Why? We think he was perfect before. But there was this little difference between him and his father, and maybe not a little difference. It was a difference that he didn't want to go through this. It was repulsive to him. He was bearing sin. He was being made sin for us. If you read that book, you can really get a good view. But the thing about that book is also that everyone has an opportunity to be crucified. And when you are crucified, when you are young, run down, even by your brethren or by anyone, if you can accept it as from the hand of God, you will profit from it. I know this isn't exactly on the subject today, but that book was, was a, a wonderful book to teach us. It teach us things that when we get miffed and offended, we can take it. We can take it from the hand of God and then profit by it. And only if we do that are we crucified and benefited. He said if it's not a crucifixion if you don't accept it as from the hand of God. It's just abuse at the hand of your brethren, but it isn't really crucifixion. I was blessed by reading that book. But we need to go on here. John 14, his intercessory prayer for his people... I know we've had, we've had this already, but let's hear it again, that Jesus prayed for us. I'll just go to that for just a bit. We've, we've got an awful lot to cover here, but this is so worthwhile. I'll only pick out a couple of places here to comment on. Um, it's such a prayer for unity. 
We could go into that in depth because the churches today are being attacked and being divided. They're being attacked by the adversary. And uh, Jesus prayed that that wouldn't happen, but that we would be one. But the one I wanted to uh, get especially here is uh, verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We've heard this so well, but let's hear it again. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He interceded for us there, and he's even interceding for us now. Um, Luke 22, 31-32, let's find that. Maybe uh, um, maybe back here, Reuben, would maybe you find that for us? Luke 21, um, 22, 21 to 32. This is when uh, Jesus prayed for Peter. Maybe you could just read that. Stand up and read both of those those verses. Right. He prayed for Peter there, and uh, Peter got sifted all right, but he came through because Jesus prayed for him and helped him. And then Luke 22, 22 to 40. We won't have to read that, but he says, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. This was uh, in a setting there. Um, got my mind, I had that so well in mind. Let's just look at that again. Um, Luke 22 um, 22 to 40 um, pray that you not that Pray that you enter not into temptation. Thanks for that help. But that was when he told them to take uh, sell their garment and buy a sword. And and that's been well, it's been talked about already. But that's a significant passage to me. And I would just like to offer one little thought about this. Um, of course, two swords wouldn't have been enough. That was just well brought out. I believe it was by. Did you bring that out, Brother? Yeah. I've thought sometimes that when he said, he that hath no sword, um, let him sell his garment and buy one, you know, there is a sword of the Spirit. And it is so important that we go with the sword of the Spirit. It's more important than the garments we wear. Now, maybe that isn't what's meant there. I, I agree with that. Uh, interpretation that two swords were not enough and it was enough to show that he wanted them to put up the sword but if he meant the sword of the spirit that's also very very vital I wanted to mention that as a conclusion to this pray that ye enter not into temptation Um, Jesus is even at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us. I would like to ask us, you know, it says he's praying for us, 
but do we really realize it? Someone has said, if you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room, would it make a difference? He is praying for us, but we don't hear Him. Maybe through the Spirit we can hear Him because in His Word He's told us a lot of things that are for our benefit and He is. He is on our side or we are on His side. Luke 9, 18-24 has always been kind of interesting to me. Jesus was alone praying and then it says His disciples were there. They must have walked up or something. But uh, He asked them, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elias. And others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. The Christ of God. I wanted to go to Nehemiah's prayer just for a little bit. Nehemiah 1, um, verses 5 to 11. Maybe we could take turns reading here, um, beginning with verse 5. Uh, let's have maybe the girls read this. Esther, do you have it? Would you like to read the first verse and then just come right on down the line here? Then he would bless them again. 
and receive them. And Nehemiah is praying that that might happen, even though he and his fathers, he says, have sinned. It's a, an attitude that I hope we can have in our prayers, that we don't, we don't tell God what to do. We don't um, interject our plans. I think often, maybe I've said it here, of a man that just lost his job, a devout Christian, and I was talking to him and he said he was submissive to it. He said his plans are better than mine. Just a simple statement, but I believe it's so true. His plans are better than mine. We need to realize that and, and live in that. Uh, Solomon's prayer, we're not going to read all of Solomon's prayer. It's quite long, but it's interesting to see uh, how he set up that. He had the, no doubt, thousands of people gathered around, and he made a, a, a brass uh, pulpit. And uh, he stood upon that and raised his hands to God and prayed this prayer. Um, we won't, you can read that sometime. But I would like to get the last part of it. Um, maybe it wasn't that part of that main prayer, but let's turn to Second Chronicles 7. You'll see a familiar passage here. First uh, 7 1. Um, brother next to Reuben there do you want to stand up and read that uh, 7 1 should remember your name but I don't now when Solomon had made an end of praying the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house mm, brother Merle mentioned that this morning about the glory of the Lord filling the house when there isn't even room for the priests I believe it was this same passage wasn't it and uh we want him to fill us too. Now over in uh, 7.14, verse 14, this is this, the scripture that you probably have memorized. Let's say it together. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Wonderful promise that God has. If we will respond, He is faithful to give us what we need. In Acts 6 4, the, the disciples said this, and I'm not going to go into that too much. We shall give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What were they going to do at that point? Do you remember? When the disciples said, We're going to give ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word what happened then anyone remember okay right they were going to choose seven men to serve the tables and relieve them of that work and they could give themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word We've had some difficulty at home, and um, I don't want to go into that at all. But, you know, when, when you differ with someone, maybe a little bit, and someone says, I'll pray about it, that person says. My son Peter says, that's the end. When we remind someone or go to someone uh, uh, about their fault or their difference of opinion, and they say, I'll pray about it. 
don't go back and worry about it. If they pray about it, they can get the message from the Lord. I thought that was maybe kind of an interesting observation. And my wife in the hospital quite often um, in communication with some of the uh, Christian people there, they say, I'll pray for you. And she honors that. She feels like that's a very sober promise. Don't say that lightly. If you say, I'll pray for you, uh, then do it. And if you have someone that says that to you, realize that's a beautiful promise. How do we pray? We had that in the first, uh, our first scripture here, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. One has said we fail when we pray for the lost and not for the saints. We need to pray for the saints too. We pray for our children and grandchildren. We have quite a few. And I try to name them each night. And I say to you young folks, let your parents hear you pray for them. Let your parents hear that. I think they'd like to hear that. They pray for you. We have more to say about parents praying for children too as we go for it, go through this. They brought the children to Jesus that he would uh, lay his hands on them. And Jesus loved this. And he took those children up in his arms and, and the, the disciples were kind of miffed about it because they said, don't, you know, don't interrupt the great work here, but to Jesus... The children is a great work relating to the children. And he was much displeased, it says, at his disciples for having that attitude. And he took those children up his, on his arms and blessed them. I have a, um, a note here from the Psalms. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul for thee, O God. I was thinking maybe that could almost be a motto for our school this week. We're panting for the Lord like a heart or a deer pants for the water brooks. You can imagine possibly running away from the dogs or the hunters for miles and suddenly coming to water and needing it so badly and uh, maybe that's where we are. But we are... Uh, we have available the water of life and I hope we will drink deeply while we're here this week. James 5 tells about the ordinance of anointing and again, we can't spend a lot of time on this. Don't want to keep saying that, but um, it is an important service and it involves prayer. James 5. How many have witnessed an anointing service? I know you older brethren have, but many of you younger ones, good. I think it's a precious service. I was anointed one time when I was going into the hospital for surgery, and I appreciated it. But it, it's, a, it's an order. It says, Is any afflict, among you afflicted? Let him pray. This is verse 13 of James 5. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Now it says, is any sick among you? What's the difference between being afflicted and being sick? I think probably sick is a little more of, a, of, a, of an affliction. 
that maybe affliction isn't quite so serious, but we need to pray about that. But if you're sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And there's a promise here, in the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. I have a question for you that I'd like your opinion. Do you think this service should be limited to church members? Do you think they're the only ones that would have this this privilege or this available? Okay. I'm thinking about our own membership. Right, yes. Okay. Good. We have we call membership and we have membership in our church, but you know we can't find that in Bible. we believe in the universal church of Jesus. Right, right. I like membership. I like to see who's committed. Right. But nevertheless, those are committed to the Lordship of Jesus are in the body of Christ and they're in our church. There's some beautiful promises here and uh, I think too it, it needs to be offered to more than just the members of the congregation, there might be some around who aren't too settled that are believers that don't have a place where this could even happen for them. Um, my father used to tell about this where it says the Lord shall raise him up. You know, many times in the past, anointing has been uh, put off until the very last, sort of a last rite. But that isn't really what's intended here, I don't think. But... Uh, my father would say uh, he will either raise him up to health or raise him up to glory. And uh, maybe that's a, a thought we could keep in mind. It's not wrong, but there is a promise here to save the sick, to raise him up, and to forgive his sins. And then it says something very vital for us. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then it tells about Elias. We have a subject of that tomorrow. Maybe we'll leave that for then. Jesus and the Father's concern for the disciples reminds us of the people God has entrusted to us. Marriage partners doesn't quite yet refer to you young folks, but us older ones certainly do. Children, co-workers, friends, church family, are we praying that they may understand God's activity in their lives? God is working with people and we sometimes aren't aware of it, but we can pray that we can understand how God is working with our friends. How much time do we spend praying for them? How much is being gained or lost in the lives of God's people through our praying? These are questions that I think we should uh, be willing to answer and maybe to profit and grow from. Come closer on uh, fulfilling these things. Priests were to pray for the people. This was in the Old Testament and even some of the, the churches have their priests. We don't as, uh, as brethren people, um, Anabaptist people. Uh, one of our brethren always said, we have a lay ministry. And it's kind of that way. We don't have an educated ministry. 
It's not wrong to be educated. It's not wrong to study and study and study and show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a charge for anyone who attempts to, to uh, give out the word. But priests in the Old Testament were to pray for the people. And Jesus is our high priest and he prays for us and saves us. We could go to Hebrews about the intercession and how he appears in the presence of God for us. And then it says in Hebrews 7.21, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is really an interesting concept. And it tells in the Old Testament about Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and how Melchizedek came out and blessed him. And Abraham gave uh, tithes to Melchizedek. Then in, in Hebrews, it uh, tells more about it. I'd kind of like to read that passage. Hebrews uh, number 7, verses 1 to 12. And maybe we'll start on this end this time with this brother. If you want to start that. Um, Hebrews 7, uh, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the father of the king, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave the tenth part of all, being by interpretation the king of righteousness. And after that, also the king of Salem, which is the king of is here the, the supremacy of Jesus as a priest. And it g dates back to Melchizedek. This is really an interesting study. Why was Melchizedek so great and that Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek? These are questions that you can maybe answer as you study into this, but the teaching is that Christ as a priest supersedes the Levitical priesthood under the old law. 
we need to have that plane. And I think maybe uh, we've had good teaching about that. This uh, Melchizedek evidently was a wonderful character. Abraham paid tithes to them, and it says even that the uh, Levi, who was the the one that the priesthood was out of, he paid tithes in the loins of his father Abraham. So uh, the new priesthood uh, by Jesus is so much greater. Um, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of a necessity a change also of the law. And I would like you to think about a couple of terms about law. One is the law of liberty and one is the royal law. These are spoken of in James and I believe that they supersede and cover and encompass all of the law that we are supposed to obey. The royal law, the law of liberty. That's the new law. <clears throat> then the last section I have is our connection to others. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father, we say, Our daily bread, we say, Our debts, our debtors. That's plural. Who do we mean? Is it just the people that we're praying with at the time? Is it just our congregation that might uh, close with this prayer? Um, I think it goes further than that. He is our Father. He was the, is the Father of all who will accept Him as Father. And He wants to have children. And He is our Father. I have it noted here, many are praying for you. And I want to read some of this. Um, this was said at a funeral. <clears throat> and maybe we get discouraged, especially when we lose someone like that, someone very close. Um, but we're not alone. We have a lot of help. Many people are praying for you. If in the future you feel discouraged and might wonder if anyone remembers or feel that no one is praying for you anymore, remember it is not Jesus who is making you feel this way. Those thoughts are not from him. I am confident that there will be many people remembering you in prayer for a long time. But the comfort is but take comfort in this thought. Yes, even if all others would forsake you, Jesus is still with you. We felt the prayers as we came uh, here and as everything worked out so well for us. And we're so thankful that you were praying and that our children were praying. They knew our schedule and we were blessed with that. Number three, it says, make me like Joe. This is a little story. Joe was a down and outer. He was in trouble. He was a wino. And he came to the gospel mission and he was converted. He was thoroughly converted. He became a worker there at the gospel mission that would do anything. He would minister to the winos that were coming in there, clean up their vomit, put them to bed, help to feed them. He just did anything in that gospel mission that needed to be done. He would clean the toilets. He would do anything. He was such a servant. And this other man that was seeking the Lord, he was, he was praying. He was praying, make me like Job. And one of the leaders there said, oh, you should be saying, make me like Jesus. And he looked up at him and he said, 
Is he like Job? You know, we have quite a bit of influence, don't we? We're supposed to be like Jesus. But yes, Joe was like Jesus. We wouldn't say that Jesus was like Joe because he was far, far better. I have a letter I'd like to read from. It's actually Charles Spurgeon's letter. And I have a copy of it here. I, this came in a used book or something, and I don't doubt that it's authentic. But it's a little hard to read, so I copied it off so I can read it well. It's, um, it's a letter to a young man. And up in the corner, it says, Lord, bless this letter. From Charles Spurgeon. I think you'll kind of appreciate it. My dear Arthur Lazell, I was a little while ago at a meeting for prayer where a large number of ministers were gathered together. The subject of prayer was our children. It soon brought the tears to my eyes to hear those good fathers pleading with God for their sons and daughters. As they went on entreating the Lord to save their families, my heart seemed ready to burst with strong desire that it might be even so. Then I thought, I will write to those sons and daughters, remind them of their parents' prayers. Now realize Charles Spurgeon was a very busy man and lots of preaching to do. He was a very famous man, but he decided he was going to write to these sons and daughters. Dear Arthur, you are highly privileged in having parents who pray for you. Your name is known in the courts of heaven. Something to remember, dear ones. If your, your parents are praying for you, your name is known in the courts of heaven. Your case has been laid before the throne of God. Do you not pray for yourself? If you do not do so, why not? If other people value your soul, can it be right for you to neglect it? All the entreaties and wrestlings of your father will not save you if you never ask the Lord yourself. You know this. You do not intend to cause grief to your dear mother and father, but you do. So long as you are not saved, they can never rest, however obedient and sweet and kind you may be. They will never feel happy about you until you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and so find everlasting salvation. Think of this. Remember how much you have already sinned, and none can wash you but Jesus. When you grow up, you may become very sinful, and none may cha can change your nature and make you holy. But the Lord Jesus, through his Spirit, you read what father and mother, you, you need what father and mother seek for you. You need it now. It's printed out and underlined. Why not seek it at once? I heard a father pray, Lord, save our children and save them young. It is never too soon to be safe never too soon to be happy, never too soon to be holy. Jesus loves to receive the very young ones. You cannot save yourself, but the great Lord Jesus can save you. Ask him to do it. He that asketh receiveth. Then trust in Jesus to save you. He can do it, for he died and rose again, that whosoever believeth in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Come and tell Jesus you have turned. Seek forgiveness. Trust in him for it and be sure that you are saved, then imitate our Lord. Be at home. What Jesus was at Nazareth, and yours will be a happy home. And your dear father and mother will feel that the dearest wish of their hearts has been granted them. I pray you to think of heaven and hell, for in one of these places you will live forever. 
Meet me in heaven. Meet me at once at the mercy seat. Run upstairs and pray to the great Father through Jesus Christ. Yours very lovingly, C.H. Spurgeon. I don't pretend that you young people here have not made a commitment, uh, but still, this is good advice. And to think of your, your parents praying for you, maybe, not, maybe you're already saved, but they'll pray for you that you be successful in running this race. We had a project not too long ago. Um, one of the young sisters made a, a, a number of bookmarks with the name of a young person on each bookmark. And uh, we older ones then were to choose one of those and to make that person a special uh, person of prayer. Uh, we kind of got this from the scripture where Paul said that Timothy was always in his prayers. And so that was a project we felt was very good. We, uh, we, in, we did that for quite a time. In fact, I have mine kind of where I pick up my Bible and I see it every time and I try to pray for that young brother uh, whenever I see that, that bookmark even yet. I have a little poem I'd like to finish with here. It says, Thou hast given me so much. Thou hast given so much to me. Give me one thing more, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleases me, as if thy blessing had spare days, but such a heart whose pulse may be thy praise. That's from Spirit Fruit, a, uh, a book that I'd like to recommend. Maybe we could have a closing song.